has, has ki- uh, uh, in- instructed and, and revealed to us, we hadn't seen anything yet, folks. Had not seen anything yet. There's, there's so much up, up ahead. I thank the Lord that we know that, that we know him, that we have the ability to, to be saved and to be part of the family of God. And, and, and the uh, musicians, I want to just say thank you so much. Choir, thank you so much. People that are, that are uh, singing and that I can, I can sit here and I can actually sound good <laughs> when we sing. By the way, the further on up towards the front that you just sit, the better you sound. So, you know, you, I just, I'm sitting up near the front. I just want to let you know. But uh, it's a blessing to be able to be in a place where you can come. And, and because of the, the resounding unity and purpose of the church to honor the Lord and, and just enables me to be able to praise him in a way in song that I, I can't otherwise. And I thank you, church. I thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. And isn't it a wonderful thing to be part of a church where we can honor and uplift the Lord? Uh, amen. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 18. As we are going through the All In For Him series, um, we're going through the, the, the passage here, and it's not going to be so much uh, exegetical. We're taking apart these uh, words and these verses as much as the, the thoughts or the the topic here today, we're, we're talking about preparing the heart, how that God prepares our hearts, and we need that. We must have a prepared heart. First Chronicles chapter 29, look at verse number 18 with me. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, David is praying. He's praying to God. He's asking God to, to help us to think about about God. And then he says, and prepare their heart unto thee. So very important. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Prepare their heart unto thee. He goes on to say, and give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. Thank you, Lord, for your word here this morning. I pray that uh, this morning, you'd help us to see some things about the preparation of our hearts, which is so necessary. It's, it's absolutely uh, um, needful for us to come having our hearts prepared. And so, Lord, I thank you for doing that work. And, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts here to accept your word and, and to understand our, our uh, relation with you. Lord, I pray that you just bless we have need this morning that only you can fulfill, only you can do. So, Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would indeed bless your people here through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we dealt with the verses prior to this, the right way to offer and the sacrifice to God. Remember, we said in verse number 14 that God already has what I desire to give. When I'm giving, when I'm offering to the Lord, we've got to remember, no matter what it is that we offer him, he already has what we want to give him. We also noted that my gift must be voluntary. Verse number 17 talked about that, about with a willing heart. It's got to be offered in righteousness or uprightness, or that's in God's truth, his value system, verse number 17. And, that's, and when we do, we offer it with joy. We talked about that. 
Today we're looking into what David prayed that God would do for Solomon, his son, and for the people found in these two verses, verse 18 and verse 19, that God would prepare their hearts. What does God say about the preparation of the heart? I've prayed that you're here this morning because God has been preparing your heart. I pray before I come to church, God, prepare my heart. Help me to, to be in tune. Help me to be uh, receiving spiritual frequency that you'd like to speak to me about. What does God say about the preparation of the heart? That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. I remember the first time that I ever attended a Bible-preaching church such as this church in the city of Chicago. I was born and raised there. When for the first time in my life, the gospel was disclosed to me. Oh, I was religious and had religion and, and uh, ritual, that kind of thing, but I didn't know the Lord, didn't walk with him. And, and I remember coming to a church where the preacher took the Bible and opened it up and made it plain and clear where I could understand it. It was just marvelous. I didn't know that I could actually understand the word of God like that. And he you know, showed some things here and explained them, and I go, yeah, I get that, I get that. And I remember hearing the gospel clearly for the first time in my life. I heard that the Lord's uh, uh, great love was offered to me. I heard about what the Bible said about my failure and the, my condition before him. I was a sinner. That I have been a transgressor. I broke the laws of God. Learned the ease of the reach of this salvation and the necessity of my repentance in order to apprehend it. As these things were made clear to me, like I say, for, for that first time where I just kind of began to listen about salvation. How it captured my curiosity, but I was totally uninterested in the repentance part. Which is necessary. I mean, I heard about the wonderful things that God had offered, his love for me and all that, but this repentance thing, turning away from my sin, you know, I wasn't too keen on that. Yes, the gospel is the good news to any dying man. It's water to the thirsty soul. Care and purpose of life to one in a world of disharmony and confusion. The blood of Christ providing the way to my adoption into the family of God. Wow, how about that? A rescue from the pits and the horrors of hell. And boy, I remember those messages when my pastor, Pastor Manley, there at First Baptist of Burbank, would take and preach about the, the, the horrors of that place called hell. Warnings of unending tortures. Boy, I remember he was, he was articulate. And, and when he began to talk about that place, and it's not, it's not a make-believe, it's not a, a fairy tale. No, no, it's a real place just like Woodenville, Washington. Bothell, Washington is a real place. There's a real place called hell where, where the unfortunate go to. The Bible talks about that furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the weeping and the wailing that the Bible talks about this place called hell that those that find themselves into that, that, that awful uh, offense to your mind, that darkened, insane asylum 
where the Bible says their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched in Mark chapter 9. I don't, I don't exactly know, and with all my Bible study over the years, don't ex- exactly know what that means, where their worm dieth not. It could, it could be referring to decaying flesh and, and maggots upon uh, 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 corruption. One preacher suggested that it would be the form of those unfortunate damned souls that would, as they followed their father, the devil, that serpent, they would be in that form as a, as a writhing worm throughout eternity. Whew. I'll tell you, when, when I, I remember hearing about those things, who would not want to be saved? Who would not want to avoid that place of eternal darkness? The offer of heaven. Goodness. Why anyone would not jump at that offer. But folks, it was all necessary. Not just the acceptable parts. Not about heaven and about God's grace and his goodness. His love, his blood offered to mankind. Uh, This salvation was not offered without the impasse of repentance. It's not an impasse, but the way that I looked at it, it was. Because I wasn't going that route. I was going to smorgasbord this thing and, oh yeah, I like heaven and I like the love of Christ and, oh, I like this and I like what God, and I like God's goodness and His power and all, I like all of that stuff, but repentance, nah, not for me, don't like that. I'll pass, I can't pass, can't pass. And as it was all presented to me as the truth of God, it was all necessary, like I said, not just the acceptable parts. The salvation was not offered without repentance. Now that I was not enthused about. No, no, I remember because at that time I was coming into adulthood with the promise of every sparkling rebellion and wickedness opening up to me. Now I could actually sow those wild oats. I can actually get into the situation where I'm choosing for myself and I could choose to do the things that, I would, that my flesh wanted to get into. Oh, the possibilities that Satan painted in my mind and my imagination. The rock and roll and drug culture and all the trappings of pride and self-aggrandizement and immorality promised by the master of deceit. And folks, you see, this nullified the divine offer. It killed the deal for me. See... The, the, the truth of God was presented to me, and, uh, but I wasn't ready or I wasn't willing to give it up. I wasn't willing to give up sin or the prospects of going my own way. See, I was not keen on repentance. So you say, well, what happened, preacher? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> the offer was retracted. Did you hear what I said? God's offer to me was no longer valid. It wasn't on the table any longer. You see, what happened was God hid himself to me for some years. Oh, you know, I, was, I pretended like I was a believer. I mean, my family was getting saved. Everybody's, you know, uh, uh, coming to accept the gospel. And they were, you know, one by one. And th- their lives were changing. And, and I just kind of like went, up, went along with everybody else. I acknowledged, I, I intellectually agreed, 
But there was no repentance. There was, there was that, that impasse of repentance that I, that I couldn't get past. The truth is that I wasn't the one offering the deal. I wasn't the one calling the shots. I wasn't in charge of the transaction. No, no, this was God's offer to me. Take it or leave it. With no repentance, there is no deal, folks. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18. The psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, I had that, that choice to make. And I remember back at, at, at that time in my life, it was go God's way or do what I wanted to do. And I chose what I wanted to do. And I couldn't find God. My heart had to be prepared. Had to be convicted, actually. I had to come to understand my, my stance before this holy God. I needed to face the full force of the conviction of my sin. You see, I wasn't listening. Maybe I put it this way. I wasn't hearing what God was offering at the time. I was not interested in what God offered to me. No, no, I was more interested in sowing my wild oats and in getting what the world, the flesh, and the devil promised for me, which, by the way, is major false advertising. A deception. I was sold a bill of goods that was false. I was swindled. I'm so thankful that I finally, later on, came to the truth. The truth that I couldn't get around. I, I had to face. I had to surrender. I had to repent. See, God needed to prepare my heart. I needed to be primed. I needed to be prepared so that God could speak. I, I needed divine grooming. I needed his revelation. I, I, I needed his clarity. I, I needed to face my sin and God's truth and reality. Couldn't get around that. What happened to me has happened to every soul who ever comes to Christ. Your heart must be prepared, must be softened. You've got to come to divine illumination. It's called conviction. You've got to be convicted of your sin. Holy Spirit conviction. That's a preparation of your heart. Your sin must become exceedingly sinful, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 7. Without that heart preparation, you will not come. And by the way, some of you are right there where I was. That's where you are. You see, you might think that the gospel is this intellectual thing, and so you're going to you know, uh, you know, rationally and reasonably say, okay, yes, I, I, I believe that God's uh, true, or his Bible is valid, or, or uh, you know, I believe in the, the power of God, I believe that there was a creator, I believe all of these things, and it's intellectual to you, but you've not come to the place of surrender. There's been no repentance. No repentance. And you think you're all right. You think you're in, just like I did. There's some that are probably here this morning, right there, exactly right there. And you know what? You're going to miss it. You're going to go on in your life, and, and you know what? The, 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 the uh, offer of the gospel gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and you're just going to go your way. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, uh, somebody, after a while, they begin to sow their wild oats, or they get kind of like what I did. I left home, was on my, on my own for some time, and it just, it went bad. It went real bad. 
And that's where the conviction of the Holy Spirit really took place. Because then I wasn't in a Christian environment. You know, by the way, we've got some teenagers right here today just like that. Not saved. Oh, they know about the gospel. They understand reasonably about the gospel and about Christ's love and all that kind of stuff. But they've never come to, to repentance. Never come to, to surrender. And as long as you have to follow the, the orders, as long as you have to color within the lines, nobody knows better. Nobody knows different. Until you get to choose on your own. I've seen it scores of times where parents have raised kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, maybe in a, a church like this, in this church also, and, and the kids learn, memorize, they, they learn memory verses and they, uh, they, they know the doctrines and they understand and they seem to be grasping things and whatever. And then they grow up and they're, and they're gone. They don't come back. They have, they have no, oh, maybe they don't oppose the gospel, but there's no heart for the gospel. There's no anything. They got nothing. They got nothing. It's empty. It's a shell. There's no Christianity. There's no born-again experience. There's, no, there's never been a surrender, never been a repentance. And then it just kind of comes out. It's just natural. And then we're, we're aghast. Oh, no. Oh, look, at so-and-so is doing this or promoting that. or Their, 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 their life is, is in opposition to the gospel, and, and, and we're surprised. No, no. It, folks, it's, it just, it's exactly like what happened to me. Back then, my heart was not prepared. I needed the preparation of God. I needed the conviction of God. I needed to come to that point where I regarded my condition before this, this judge. My inadequacy, my sin, my, my transgression, my wickedness before this holy court. And you best understand, you best regard that here now before it's too late and you find yourself at that great white throne judgment. Your, your heart must be prepared. You, your sin must become exceedingly sinful and without that heart preparation, you will not come. You cannot hear. You will not repent. Your heart must be softened and prepared by God. Parents, if you want to pray for your kids, pray that their hearts get prepared by God. That God does his work of preparation, of softening, of conviction. That God works in the heart. And you can't do it. And I can't do it. And the preacher can't do it. And the Sunday school teacher can't do it. No, no. It's something that only can happen by divine intervention. That our hearts get prepared. A Bible example of people who had to be uh, prepared to listen, to hear, to receive God's message is illustrated in the story of Elijah and the wicked reign of Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's look at it. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 30. Here, this this kind of illustrates what I'm saying. At first you had a, a Bible preacher, a, a prophet of God, one of the best one of the clearest, one of the strongest, lay out God's, God's uh, uh, word, his, his uh, 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 judgments. And, and people weren't listening. They, they didn't want to listen. They were too preoccupied with doing what they were doing. They were going away from God, and it didn't matter. Uh, Elijah was the prophet. He could have spoke all day long. He could have preached 
from morning till, till uh, evening, and it wouldn't have made a difference. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Oh boy, Ahab was a case. When it says he did evil worse than everybody or anybody around him, it's the truth. That's, that's what happened. They mean it. They, they weren't exaggerating. He was worse than any, any, any other king before him. He was evil. He was wickedness personified. Verse 31. And it came to pass, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Hillary, the do- I mean, sorry, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. Freudian slip, folks. I'm sorry. Just forgive me on that one. We know the story about Jezebel, how she was, she was, oh man, talk about a wicked, wicked woman. And she was. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Verse 32. And he reared up an altar, an altar for Baal. That is a false god. These are the children of Israel, God's chosen people. They knew who God was. They knew that God was the only God. They knew that God had, had uh, uh, emancipated them from Egypt and all the plagues and everything else and the, the miraculous history of, of Israel. But here, they're... they're He's dabbling with, with idol worship to Baal. He rears up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So, he, so here he is, and, and he's just about the worst of the worst. Now, enter Elijah, the prophet of God at this time, who spoke God's word. Elijah preached the word of God all along this. But nobody was listening. It didn't matter what Elijah would say or it didn't matter what you know, his words were of God. Uh, they weren't listening. Nobody cared. Ahab was getting away with whatever he wanted to do. It was the era of the murder of the Naboths. You remember that story, how that Naboth had a vineyard next to Ahab, and Ahab just wanted it. And Naboth says, well, God forbids it for me to, to sell it to you or give it to you. I can't do that. It's not mine to give. And Ahab wanted it so badly, and so they arranged through Jezebel, they arranged to murder Naboth, and so he had, his, he had his vineyard. It didn't matter what was right. It didn't matter who he had to step on. It didn't matter the, the weak and the oppressed. That didn't care. Uh, that didn't matter to, to Ahab. He, was, he just violated the innocent and the vulnerable. Uh, uh, there were faithful ones dying before the wicked. It was like wood to a, a circle saw, and in many ways we're there today. Or didn't you think I was going to apply this? The innocent are murdered in plain sight. We call it choice. We call it rights. Excuse me, there's another life that we're dealing with here. We call it freedom, enlightenment. Some, some bill that comes through that says late-term abortion, even after birth. And people, they cheer and they stand in their seats and they say, yes, we are so woke. Goodness. Goodness. Politicians and courts and uh, the conscious, depraved wicked are, seem to be getting away with murder in society. And it's true, as in a, a spiritually dark day, as, as Elijah was in, as Elijah's time, that's where he lived, and he was preaching the word of God, and nobody's listening. 
Nobody was listening or even desired to listen to God. See, God had to soften them. God had to prepare them to listen to his words. He had to get their attention. Must God send disaster to this blessed country before we listen? Before we give him our undivided attention? Must we see persecution or judgment for us to turn? Well, anyway, God did exactly what he needed to do to get the attention of Ahab and that wicked generation that he was living in. 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be... Uh, There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the book Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. You know the whole story, how that uh, in famine uh, he was to hide himself, because uh, at first nobody noticed, but after a while it started getting really uncomfortable for the likes of Elijah, because he was the one that was lined up with God and the chastisement, the judgment, the, 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 the attention-getting that God was doing at this point. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. There's no rain. Folks, in, in a, uh, an agricultural society so dependent upon uh, the, the, the crops and the, and the, the food, that, that they're dependent from from the blessings of heaven, no rain. And slowly the entire landscape chance, uh, uh, changed and everything dried up. Prosperity was gone. Ease was gone. Health was gone. There was a famine in the land. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. It was actually, as we find out in Peter, three and a half years. Three and a half years of 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 uh, famine. Three and a half years where there's no rain. Three and a half, can you imagine in nowadays uh, terms, three and a half years for the stock market to go down continually, day after day after day, after, after you see prosperity just crumble and crash. Three and a half years of, of <coughs> judgment, pure judgment from God. It says, it came to pass Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Yeah, I'll say. Boy, they were hurting at this time. They were, by this time, and you, you, you hear, if you read the whole story, how that, man, they were looking for this guy called Elijah. Where is he? At first, they didn't want to hear him. They just wanted to shut him out, turn him off. And now, after three and a half years of nothing but famine, three and a half years of of God and and Elijah working in tandem, they're saying, where is that man, Elijah? Where is he? We want to find him. Bring him before the court. 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? See, that's, that's what was going on. Everything came to a halt. The nation was, was forced to its knees. And he was, in, in Ahab's idea, or his perspective, troubling all Israel. Of course, that was not reality. 
and he corrects it. Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel into Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, this, Wow, what a, what a statement, what a question. How long halt ye between... Two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. That question needed to be answered. That question needed to be considered. And you know what? Prior to this time, nobody's listening. But now you could hear a pin drop. Every eye, every ear is tuned exactly to what this man is saying. What God says here. You know why? God had prepared the people to listen. Without that preparation, we're not interested. Just like me. Without that pre preparation, no, no conviction. I wasn't interested. I mean, I was trying to make deals with God. I was saying, okay, God, I'll take that, but I'm not going to do this. And that's just where some of you are. And you're not listening. Because you've got, you got to have your heart prepared. Folks, I've seen it time and time again where somebody, maybe early in their life, they've been, they've been presented with the, with the proposition of the gospel and it doesn't do anything. It's not making any sense. And they'll go off and, and get out of that situation to where, you know, because you're not going to continually be there um, in a situation that's uncomfortable and you're under conviction, you don't like that. Nobody likes to be under conviction, you know, where God says you're wrong, you're, you're, you're sinful, you need to get right, you know, repent. Nobody likes that. And so something's got to give, and so you get away from that. And I've seen it time and time again where people get out of that situation, and maybe sometimes for years, for years, they're out in the, in the, in the wilderness, and for years they're, they're, they're at a place where there's a famine in their life, and it just goes on and on and on and on, and it doesn't quit. And you, like me, come to the understanding, I've been sold a bill of goods. Listen, what Satan has, what the world has, is not worth it. And then come to understand, wait a minute, what did God say? And you know what? Here, the people were prepared. And I've seen that time and time again where the person is prepared to listen. <clears throat> you know, as Elijah said to Ahab and the people, now, you remember in verse number 19 of that last passage? Now, therefore, sent. You know why now? Because now they were listening. Now they were looking for him, and they, they tuned to hear what God had to say. God got their attention. In my early years, in exposure to the truth, I was not listening. This is just my story. I wasn't inclined to listen. God had to convict me, had to soften me, had to prepare my heart to get my full attention. My kids, and now my grandkids, have used the tactic when they were very young. Like right now, I've got uh, one of them, I'm thinking is Dax. He's, how old is Dax? Two? He's almost three? He, uh, he'll, 
I've got this little little uh, uh, computer video in, in my on my uh, desktop, and it's a whale show. It's got these whales, you know, these pictures of whales and this music in the background. And I'll take them and I'll show the, you know, go picture after picture. And, and, and it's funny because he's just learning how to talk right now and everything. And he's going, whales, whales. He goes to me, Grandpa, whales, whales, you know. <laughs> I don't care what, he, what I'm doing. I just drop it and, and just deal with him. Just, that's just so, I love him. Anyway, so, you know, but sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm dealing with other things. You know, there's things that are, that are you know, pressing. And I'm talking to somebody here and I'm talking to somebody there. Some, sometimes maybe you have seen what they do is they'll, they'll put their hands on my face and, and direct it to their eyes. <laughs> Grandpa Wales. <laughs> and that, that's what my kids did that. Now my grandkids do that. It's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> Folks, God has a way. putting his hands on your face and directing you to his eyes. Now pay attention. I'm speaking to you. Preparing our hearts. God can do that, folks. That's what we're talking about here today. Preparing our hearts so that we're, 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 we give him our full attention. At first, Elijah could have preached long and loud about God's desires. Nobody wanted to hear it. Now, after three and a half years, you can hear a pin drop when Elijah opens his mouth. Everybody wants to know what he's got to say. See, God has a way of preparing the heart, of getting our attention, of grabbing the mic in our lives. Sometimes it's painful. But he can do that, folks. We're talking about God preparing the heart. 1 Chronicles 29, 18, where we started. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. That's what he's praying. He says, God, the people need to put their attention upon you. Prepare their heart. And God knows just how to do that. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy, thy commandments. Folks, we're talking about preparing a perfect heart. What God has to do to prepare a heart, just four things that will be done. Number one, in preparing a perfect heart, he prepares in our thoughts. Look at what it says in verse number 18 of our text. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. In our thoughts. And, and how we think. It's re referring to, to our intellect. It's how we think, folks. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. See, listen, it's a fact that you are what you think. Sometimes we think, hey, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to put my mind. I'm going to allow my, my mind <coughs> to to lust for some things. And I'm not, I'm, not in, I'm not participating. Hey, by the way, this is a good place to jump off and talk about pornography. It's a, it's a, a blight upon the people of God in this country. Christians or non-Christians. Listen, Satan will lie to you and, and tell you, hey, listen, you're not doing anything. All you got to do, just put your mind here. No, no, no. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And listen, the preparations of God in the heart is, is first of all, in, in our thoughts, in our thought life. Our thoughts are the battleground of our destiny. 
Satan would have to think that you can think on anything. Like it won't hurt you. No, no. God says you are what you think. Let me ask you something. Are you prepared to think properly this morning? Are you prepared to hear God this morning? Uh, uh, did you focus on things that would, would bring your, your mind and thoughts to God? Or the things that you have focused on actually tore your heart away, tore your, your attention away from God? Preparing a, a perfect heart is done in the thoughts. Number two, it's done in the deeds. First Chronicles 29, 19. He says, And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep the commandments and thy testimonies and thy statutes and to do all these things. To do. This is action. D doing. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. What we have to do, folks, is determine to do right. Just do right. I don't know how many hours I spend in, in uh, council Personal uh, uh, counseling in my office and people have problems, I understand that. You know what? I could just, like, uh, uh, what's the guy that had that skit? I, it would just, two words. Two words. It would, it would take care of any counseling situation that you need, that you have, and that's do right. Okay? So you could spare me all the hours and you all the hours if you just pay attention to following the, the instructions right here. Do right. Just do right. You know what? And sometimes you're thinking, yeah, but, I, you know, listen, I really desire to do something else. And you know what? If you do right, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. It's amazing how God would, would change the, 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 the whole landscape if you just do right. You know, you're supposed to be in church. Be in church. Just do right. Yeah, but I don't want to. You know what? You get in church, and, you know, God will uh, take away the cobwebs spiritually. Where you'd be loving it, you'd be having joy in, in God's house. Just do right in the deeds. Uh, preparation of a perfect heart is in the deeds. Um, if you do, the Lord will take care of the rest. Just do right. God will do, take care of everything else. You remember what he said in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 4, to the church that was going off because their, their, their attitude wasn't right, their heart, their love, their passion was not right. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. This is his uh, uh, recommendation. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else. Or else judgment. Do the first works. You know something husbands, wives, you're having a rough time right now and maybe things are not the way they ought to be. What great, oops, excuse me, what great uh, advice just do the first works. Okay, you remember when you were dating what did you do when you were dating? That was legal. <laughs> you know, you, you spent time with each other. You spent time with each other. You, you, you focused, uh, you, you, you uh, gave your attention to, you, you, you had dates. You know what, now they're because of the bills and the kids and the this and the that and everything else. And there's, you know, there's, man, everything's taken. Just do the first works. You know what, you do the first works and then everything else falls in place. Folks, just do right. Preparing your heart involves in uh, preparing in the thoughts and the deeds. Number three, and preparing your heart unto the Lord. That's what it says in our text, 1 Chronicles 29, 18. And prepare their heart unto thee. It's for Christ. It's for the Lord. Our hearts must be consecrated and committed to the Lord. My heart and mind are for him. 
It's for him. How about, how about we just do that? We, we commit to him. Lord, you, you have my uh, attention. You have my mind. You have my heart for you. And preparing a perfect heart is actually to, it's so that in order that we can obey his commandments. Look at our text, 1 Chronicles 29, 19. He says, and give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart. Why? To keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things. Folks, it's so that, so that we could actually obey God. If our heart's right, then we can obey God properly. Our hearts must be ready, prepared to hear and heed and obey his commands. And by the way, only a saved person can truly obey. Lost person can kind of do the works and it doesn't, doesn't, it's, it's not, not effective. The lost has no capacity for it. That's why the psalmist said in, verse, in Psalm 19, 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let me ask you something, friend. Are you tuned in today? Is your heart prepared to listen to what God has for you today? Or maybe you can't hear, you're not listening, you don't, you're not giving them your attention. The question is, are we listening, are we prepared? Is your heart prepared to surrender to the Lord today? Have your head bowed, no looking, no, for just a moment. Lord, thank you so much for speaking this, your word to us and helping us to understand that for us to ever get to serve you, we need to come to the place where our heart is prepared. Lord, I fear for some loved ones, even in this auditorium, that they, they don't have a heart for you. It's obvious. They think that it's shielded and it's hidden, but no, it's, it's obvious. You can kind of see that a mile away. Lord, I pray that you would prepare their heart. Oh, Lord, unless you prepare our heart, we're not listening. Unless you soften, unless you bring us to the place to where we, we 